Hello, I'm Carrie Ann. Welcome to another service with Pastor Ray Dieter at Grace Baptist Church. Please check out our website, gbcevansville.org. There, you'll find videos of our youth and children's services, daily devotions, and other ministries our church has to offer. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings for an in-person service where we'll practice social distancing and follow safety guidelines. Now, let's hear what Pastor Ray has to say. I trained, trimmed my sideburns and I didn't do bad, did I? You know, I'm doing all right. Then I realized I was growing a lot of hair on my ears. Old guys do that, you know, you grow hair where it don't belong. And I, I was shaving this morning and I felt that ear and, and, and that hair goes clear out to here and I had the bright idea, just take that razor I'm shaving with and trim that ear. It didn't work. <laughs> I went in to, to see Joanna and she said, what did you do? I said, what do you mean what I do? I thought I was trying. To, she said, well, you got blood all over you. I take a blood thinner and so I was running down everywhere. So. There's, a word, there's the word of wisdom for the day. Don't try to trim the hair on your ear with a shaving razor. Anybody here ever think they'll ever really need that? Yeah, no, no takers, huh? Well, all right. Hey, we are, last Sunday I said I was going to preach on the I will passages of Jesus this morning, uh, but I didn't tell Lisa. And so the outline that she had and we have on the board was the one from a couple weeks ago that I didn't preach because I changed to something else. And so that's where we're going to be today is in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. I'm getting a lot of feedback, all right? Um, it says, you are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they begin to light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We've been talking during our 100th anniversary uh, as we've changed our focus from celebrating the past to looking forward to the future. We've talked, been talking about the fact that we need to serve right here at 1200 North Garvin Street until Jesus comes. That may be tomorrow. It may be a thousand years from here now. I doubt that, but our goal is for this church to continue to be here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus uh, to a lost and dying world. And as, we, as I thought about that, uh, my mind returned to this passage where Jesus uh, it, is talking about being salt and light. And I want you to understand something about this passage that shows up more in the Greek than in the English. It is not so much about doing something as being something, all right? It is not as much about what you do as who you are because of whose you are. If you're a born-again believer of Jesus Christ, you belong to Him. You have become a servant of the almighty, wonderful God. You've become a child of his through adoption. You belong to him. And what you do then is shaped by that relationship. Uh, uh, and so Jesus in this passage as he's talking to his followers is talking about what we are to be till Jesus comes. Uh, and what we are, what we 
are in Christ Jesus shapes what we do. It's kind of like a circle, all right? It begins a relationship with Him. That defines who we are. Who we are defines what we do. What we do reveals who we are in Christ Jesus. And it just works in a great big cir circle. And, and, and so He's talking to them, and He's talking about them serving a purpose and following Him. And He uses two marvelous examples. He talks about salt, and He talks about light. Now, in Jesus' day, salt was used for three things. It was used for flavoring. Uh, their food often was not really good, and the salt would give it some flavor. I don't know about you, but I really like salt, and I've been off of salt pretty well for a year because of my blood pressure. But this is, has been the hard time of year for me because I tell you the truth, it's hard for me to eat an Indiana homegrown tomato without putting a little salt on it. It just makes it, oh, now you're talking. And if, and if I fry those uh, okra that Bill Casey brings me, if I fry those in a skillet, you know, they're a little better with a little salt on it. Salt adds seasoning, it adds flavor. It makes bland food better. Uh, the other thing it was used was as a preservative. Salt was used to preserve meat. Many years ago, uh, Joanna's dad used to love to tell the story. He grew up in the country and his uh, father was a Church of the Brethren preacher, and they didn't have a lot, and so people would donate them in the fall when they butchered, they would donate them meat, and his dad would preserve that meat by soaking it in salt water, and that would preserve it so they'd have meat through the winter. And he talked about how good that ham was that his dad would fix, and he would take that ham to school and, and have it for lunch. And so my mother-in-law heard that story so many times, she decided she was going to one Thanksgiving, we weren't going to have turkey, we were going to have ham in honor of that. And she looked at it at that time, back in the 90s, it was hard to find salt-cured ham, but she found a salt-cured ham, and in fact, she had it shipped in to where they lived, and we were already an excited Thanksgiving day, and we sat down to eat that salt-cured ham, and it was the worst thing you ever seen in your life. And my father looked, looked up and he said, Betty, I really appreciate what you did, but this is not my mother's recipe. And Betty said, well, and she started how, telling how she did it, and he said, yes, but did you soak it in water for 24 hours? And she said, no. That what they'd do, they'd take that salt-cured meat, and then they'd soak it in water and to get as much of the salt out of it as they could, but it would keep the meat. And so in Jesus' day, before they had all these fancy things with long names that we preserve everything with now that you probably shouldn't eat because they're not good for you. Uh, they preserved things with salt. It was also used in sacrifice. Um, in Leviticus 2.13, uh, Moses talks about the, the, the grain offering uh, that you bring to the Lord to celebrate the faithfulness of the Lord. And he said, you never offer an offering without putting salt in the offering and it was burned and consumed on the altar. And what that salt did was it signified the faithfulness of God. When they put that salt on the grain offering, it reminded them that God was a faithful, that what He says, He does, and that when you belong to Him, you belong to Him forever. And so it reminded them of their faithfulness. So taking those three things in mind, uh, here's what it means to be salt. When Jesus said we are to be salt in the world, it means to make a difference 
by being different. The scriptural term is be in the world, but not of the world. That we live in this world, but we are not guided by this world. We are guided by the principles of a holy God and by His Word. And so that shapes how we live in the world so that we are different from the world. That's how we flavor the world. We are the seasoning in the world that might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who do not know Him as Lord and Savior, that, that proclaim that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, in the midst of desperate situations, the place to turn for a believer is to Him. The place to turn for an unbeliever is to Him to come to know Him so that they can turn to Him in the crisis. And we are the seasoning in the world that demonstrates that. We are different. And that difference is because we are born again in Him and created as a new creature. Behold, all things are new in us. Uh, secondly, uh, the preservative. We are to stand against ongoing moral decay. We live in probably for the, uh, absolutely for the first time in our history, we live in a non-biblical society. When I was a kid growing up in the 50s, even the lost guy that lived in the north end of town would often quote scripture at the barbershop. He knew a little bit about scripture. Uh, eventually he knew enough that George Jewell, our pastor, led him to the Lord. It's not like that today. You can make a scripture reference and people look at you and they don't, they, huh? What does that mean? We live in a non-biblical society and it's not helped by our press and, and our politicians and the news on TV telling us that, 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 that uh, you know, we need to get, get, get all changed about who we are and what we do. Uh, and in the midst of that, we need to stand against the moral decay and, and call sin, sin. You know, the, we talked about that last Sunday when we talked about persecution. The world will always say that we are hateful, that we are not understanding, that we are unloving when we speak the truth. Because the world hates the truth because it reveals their sin. And we'll talk about that a little more when we get to light. And so we, we are that preservative uh, in the world. You need to read Revelation sometime and see what happens when the church is removed from the world and the Holy Spirit goes with it. The world goes to, excuse my French, it goes to hell in a handbasket, quick. In just seven years, it degenerates totally to where Jesus comes again. And so we need to be that preservative in the world saying, hey, whoa, wait. You know, I, I have never, I thought about this a lot this week. I have never met a totally lost person that was happy. They might think they were happy, but then when it comes right down to it, the things they were leaning on don't mean anything. I had a fellow who could, uh, I, I had a fellow in Ohio who was probably one of the richest men I ever met. Uh, tons and tons of money. And he was the most unhappy, unsatisfied person I ever saw in my life until he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then that changed the perspective on his wealth. He began to give into the causes of God to help uh, people in a lost and dying world. It, we are to be a testimony uh, to God's faithfulness. Uh, it, we, we, 
We need to give him continual glory and praise because he is faithful. So many times we are unfaithful. We don't speak up when we should. We don't do something we should. But he is always faithful to those who trust and believe in him. We may go through dark patches. We may go through difficulty. But we lean on him. Uh, I got a nice email uh, from a lady in the church this week. Somebody in it in the saying they're asking the Lord said, "Lord, why are you taking me through the troubled waters?" And the Lord responded, "Because the enemy cannot swim." Listen, we in that great we go through troubled waters, but He is there with us and He carries us through them to the dry shore on the other side. Uh, but salt can lose its value. If salt becomes wet, you just need to throw it away. I knocked a whole container of sea salt over into the sink when I was doing the dishes. And uh, when it dried out, it wasn't worth anything. Had no flavor, had no preservative power. And it was good for nothing but throw it away. Jesus is, said it's nothing good for nothing but throw it out in the street and just use it to walk, walk on. Um, there's some things that we need to do to remain salty. Uh, don't adapt to suit the world. All right? Now, when I say that, I am saying don't compromise with the world. Don't, don't try to become popular with the world. Don't try to make yourself fit in with the world. Continue to be salt. The salt loses safe. Uh, uh, saltiness when we adapt and, and, and we go along to get along. Uh, secondly, remain faithful to the gospel. Listen, a lot of things change. Music styles change. Churches change. The churches they're building today don't look anything at all like this one on the inside. Um, um, a lot of them have a gymnasium. They have seats you move back against the wall. That's fine. I'll have a problem with that. Uh, uh, but we have to remain faithful to the truth of what we preach and what we do. Uh, this is the Sunday of 9-11, and I never forget on that Sunday after 9-11, I preached from the book of Psalms. And I was amazed later to see that on that Sunday, Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, uh, Adrian Rogers, and Jerry Vines had all preached from the same psalm that I had preached from. Now, you can't tell me that's not God at work because I, mean, I can't be compared to either one of the Grahams or those two great gentlemen. Uh, God reveals truth, and we need to remain faithful to that gospel. Uh, at my seminary, you know I went to a liberal seminary. My seminary sent out a newsletter, and they printed word for word the Scripture or word for word, excuse me, the sermon that was preached by a fellow who was in my class who was a pastor of a church in Bradenton, Florida. He didn't begin with Scripture. He never quoted Scripture, and he never ended Scripture. It was all what he thought. And I'm here to tell you what he thought doesn't mean anything. What matters is what God's words say, and we need to remain faithful to the gospel. The gospel says there are two kind of people, lost people and saved people. And it is the job of the saved people to 
spread the salt so that the lost people can come be, become saved. And when we get caught up in other things, it is easy to lose sight of the gospel. You know, when we pass out food in the food pantry, when we pass out clothes in the clothing bank, the gospel is always absolutely pre presented. If you haven't heard Jerry give a devotion, you need to hear that. Uh, it, it is a center of who we are and what we do and why we do it. And if we wander away from that, we can be popular with the world, but we've lost our saltiness and we've lost our function. Um, to be, you've got to be willing to suffer for Jesus. Be willing to be persecuted. We talked about that last Sunday. Uh, go home and listen to that sermon on the internet if you didn't hear it. Uh, listen, there's coming a day when it may be illegal to stand and call some of the things we call sin, sin, because the world's going to say, well, that's hateful. And so what we need to understand is that no one that follows Jesus and takes up their cross gets off without something in their life that is difficult and hard because the enemy will come. But remember, he can't swim. And so he, God can take us through all the troubled waters. Uh, last week, remain committed despite those setbacks. Remain committed despite those setbacks. Uh, we face troubles and difficulties in the world and temptations just not, well, I'm not going to go this morning. It's been a hard week. It's been a hard week. This is where you need to be. I'm not going to go this, week, this morning because, I'm, well, I just don't feel good. I never will forget my youngest son. One Sunday morning, his girlfriend used to pick him up at our house because we went to church uh, a little bit early. And one Sunday, I was slow getting going. And she came in and he was laying on the couch and she said, Andy, aren't you ready? He said, I'm not going. I got a headache. She said, you can have a headache in church just the same as you can have a headache at home. Get up and get going. Uh, salt. Next, he talked about light. I want you to go to Genesis 1. I think I may have quoted this. Uh, it, it, the very first thing God did, Genesis 1. My pages are folded together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. So evening and morning were the first day. First thing God created was light. First thing he did, he spoke it into existence. Out of the darkness came light. Out of the darkness came the power of light. Um, light does several things. It brings order in the midst of chaos. That passage is a passage where things were in great chaos. And suddenly God changed that when he began the creative process by saying, let there be light. And out of the chaos, he brought order. 
and he created everything we see and know, the vast universe, the intricacy of what is in you that makes you alive, all that he created, and he did it simply by saying, let there be, let there be, let there be. But the first thing he did was bring light that there might be order in the chaos. Uh, light reveals what's hidden in the darkness. You go into a room at night and it is absolutely dark. What do you do? You reach over. You've done it so many times, you know where it is. I, I, you, know, you know on what, what wall it is and how high it up it is and you flip that switch on so you can see what's in there and what's going on and what you need to do. I, you know, you do that so much if you came to my house and went to go into one of the bedrooms, you'd reach the same place. I don't know if the light switch would be there. It may be different in my house. But you see, what light does is in the midst of the darkness, it reveals what's hidden there. That's why the world hates light. That's why thieves come under the cover of darkness. Um, had a friend that lived on a farm south of where I grew up. And one day we were talking at the barber shop, and he said, they keep stealing my gas. And I said, well, have you got a lock on the, he had a 250-gallon above-ground tank for his tractors and things. He said, yeah. He said, he said and what bothers me too is they not only steal enough gas to fill their car up, he said, before they do, they throw a rock up and they break out my nightlight. And he said, so every time they steal gas, I got to get up on the pole and put a new nightlight in and, and, and I've got to... Uh, get a new lock because they've cut the lock off. Um, thieves don't like light. Sinners don't like light. It is a hard thing to realize and admit that you're out of step with the Holy God. And light reveals that in the midst of the darkness. Uh, and more than that, it reveals a way out of the darkness into life eternal. Okay, when you're somewhere and you're trying to feel your way around, uh, I was trying to help a little lady when I lived at Faith Southern. She was having trouble with her sump pump. She said, would you go down, preacher, and check on it? And I went down to check on the sump pump, and while I was down there, the power went off. Well, I'm in the basement. There's no windows. There's no lights. You talk about dark, you know. I, and I'm fumbling around and trying, and, and finally I, I yelled, called her name, and she was at the top, and when she did, she opened the door at the top of the stairs, and light flooded down that stairway, and out of the darkness, I was able to walk towards that light and up those stairs, and out of that darkness in the basement. Thank goodness there was light upstairs, and I'd probably still be wandering around her basement. But here's, here's the thing. Light reveals a way out of the darkness into eternal life. That's why Christ came. He was the light that came into the world that the world might receive him and have eternal life. Um, so here's what to be light is. If you go to 1 John 1, 5 to 7. Here's what John says. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we saw, with our own eyes, which we looked upon, which we handled concerning the word of life, 
the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was, was with the Father and with the Son Christ Jesus. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you God is light and in him is no darkness at all. See, Jesus is the light at the top of the stairs out of the basement of sin. And he reveals that to us. And that is God's plan that through him we might be taken out of sinfulness into salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and he sheds that light so that we can come to him and know him. And so it reveals God's plan. If you go to Ephesians 5 8, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So, we are to walk in the light, to shine light in the midst of the darkness, that others might come to know Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we bring God, glory to God by living the gospel, Philippians 2, my favorite chapter in the Bible. Uh, but we're not going where I normally go. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He says, be faithful to what Christ has called you to be. Don't be hypocritical. Live the gospel of Jesus Christ that the light of him might shine through you, that others might see the truth and know that he is God. So he has said to us to be light, but light that is hidden is of no value. Uh, light that is covered. I used to do a children's sermon, but I lost the lamp and the move, but I had a high intensity light that would shine and shine real brightly, but when you folded it, it would still be shining, but you couldn't tell it because it had folded together and it was hidden. And that's what he talks about here. He said, you don't turn on a light and then cover it up so nobody can see it. You turn on the light for a purpose. He uses the term, hide it under a bushel, hide it under a basket. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a basket, no, I'm gonna let it shine. And that's what Jesus is talking here. Um, and, and so here's when you hide your light. Uh, when you remain silent, when you could speak up. When you remain silent, when you could speak up. There are times when silence is good. Uh, but there are times when silence is a terrible disservice to the God who gave his son for us. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to you the time. Uh, I had a fellow that was doing something in his life that I knew about and I knew it was wrong. 
I don't judge him. The scripture judges him, and I knew God was judging him. He was having a lot of trouble in his life. He seldom came to church anymore, and I realized he was out of step. And I was wanting to go talk to him, and the Holy Spirit kept telling me, he won't listen to you. Wait. He won't listen to you. Wait. Don't say anything yet. And so I remained silent for a season. But then one day, he and I were playing golf. I used to play golf. That's been a long time ago. My goodness, I'm dating myself. And we're going along, and he said, say, I've been meaning to ask you about something. And when he did, he went right to the problem that was in his life. And he asked me about it. The devil said, just play golf. Don't ruin a perfectly good day. He, he, he's going to be upset with you. He may get mad and go home. I didn't listen to him because the Holy Spirit said, this is the time I've been telling you about. This is the time. Don't you dare be silent. And so I spoke. And I told him over the next two or three holes that we played, he did not like it. For a couple of weeks, he avoided me. But then God began to change his life, and he put aside that sin. You, you understand what I'm saying? The, the Holy Spirit will let you know the difference, the time to be silent and the time to speak up. And the crucial thing about being light is don't be silent when God's saying, say something. When God's saying, speak up. Yeah, it, most common thing I hear, well, I wouldn't know what to say. The Scripture says, Jesus Himself said, don't worry about that. The power of the Comforter that I will give you in your life, He will speak through you so you will know what to say. It, we hide our light when we go along to get along. Accommodation and compromise. It is easy sometimes to kind of put our faith to the side so that we can get along with everybody, so we can go along. It is much simpler and much easier many times. But we are not called to go along and get along. We are not called to be popular. We are called to be faithful. And so sometimes it will cause division when our light is shining. Uh, personal sin will dim your light. There, in my belief, is no harder thing on the work of the kingdom of God than unconfessed sin in the life of the children of God. And hear that again. There's no harder thing on the work of the kingdom of God than unconfessed sin in the life of the children of God. We think nobody will know. I'm not hurting anybody just this one time. But sin in the life of the believer is what the world sees as being uh, hypocritical. And it is a great injury to the work of the kingdom of God and it dims your light. The world won't listen to what you say because of what you do. And being, which we're talking about today, means what you do and what you say 
match together. Not explaining the light. I, in the interest of time, we won't go there because I've quoted it several last Sundays, 1 Peter 3, where Peter says, always be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you in Christ Jesus. I went into a barber shop in Ohio. That guy's still alive, by the way. And it used to always tickle me when I'd come in to get a haircut. He would say, he'd be cutting hair and he'd look up and he'd say, well, good morning, Reverend Dieter. And everybody'd pick up a magazine. I told him one week I'd give 25 bucks to know what you guys were talking about before I got there, you know. Uh, but I went in one morning and there was nobody there. And as I crawled up into the chair, he said, well, you're chipper this morning. You're happy this morning. What, what, why are you so happy? And I just told him. I said, listen, in the midst of everything, I'm happy this morning because Jesus is on the throne and he reigns and he is my Lord and my King. And, 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 and no matter what happens the rest of the day, I'm going to be happy because nothing can change that. You see, sometimes you need to explain why it is that the things that people think should bother you and get you down don't keep you down permanently that you can come through the depression and through the difficult times because Jesus carries you on through. So here's what he's saying. We are to watch for his, there's the east, we are to watch for his return, but in the midst of that watching, we are to be salt and light. Remember what we said at the start? Whose we are shapes who we are. You are changed when Jesus Christ comes into your life. If you haven't felt a change, then you need to re-examine that and ask, is Jesus Christ really come into my heart? If I'm not changed at all, if I'm the same old sinner that I was before, if I can sin without sadness, if I can uh, not pray, not study the Word, not go to God's house and not feel that I've missed something, then you need to ask yourself, have I truly been changed? Whose we are shapes what we are. We are defined by the fact that Jesus Christ has saved us and the Holy Spirit has come in the, <coughs> the life of every believer. And so what we are determines what we do, or I could say on the negative side, what we don't do. What we do is shaped by whose we are. You all are here this morning. <clears throat> I don't imagine anybody tried to shave their ear and cut it, but I also know that it probably wasn't easy for a lot of you to get up and get going this morning, get ready, get in the car, drive from wherever you are. It took an effort to be here this morning. And, and, and the reason you made that effort is because you believe and trust in Christ Jesus and you want to worship Him in glory, give Him glory in His house and be with His people. You see, what you did this morning was shaped by who you are. If you're a redeemed child of God. Now, it may be that you're not a Christian and you're here, pay attention here, God was at work and He brought you here too for a purpose that you might hear His name and come to know Him as Lord. Everybody is here because of who they are, either because they're saved 
or because they're lost and God has brought them that they might hear truth. Uh, what we do demonstrates whose we are. Remember, I said it's a big circle. It goes around. You know, I am who I am because of whose I am in Christ Jesus. I do what I do because of whose I am, and what I do shows who I am. And it is salt and light in a lost and dying world. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Glorify God till Jesus comes. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Uh, everyone here is on a different time tra train, uh, different challenges in their lives, different difficulties in their lives. But you have promised that you are with all who put their trust and hope in you. Even in the midst of the depressing darkness, you bring light. And I pray as we, this church celebrates 100 years and as we look forward to the next 100 years, that everyone here will be committed to being what Jesus told us to be. Thanks again for joining us for another service with Grace Baptist Church. Connect with us using the social media links on our website, gbcevansville.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week.